Hi, I'm Carlos Kina, founding partner of Beyond the Deal, BTD for short, and this is our podcast series titled Beyond the Deal, Making Sense of M&A, Divestments, and Alliances. At BTD, we help smart and savvy organizations design, plan, and manage M&A integrations, separations, and alliances for themselves, and through this, get as much long-term value from the deal as possible. Based on 20 years of experience across more than 150 international engagements, we've made the process as simple, discreet, and modular as possible to reflect our clients' needs today and in the future. This podcast series will help guide you through the challenges and unknowns of M&A, integrations, divestments, separations, and alliances, bringing expertise and best practice from our team and other expert practitioners in our network. Our aim for each podcast is to provide you with practical, helpful nuggets, ideas, new perspectives, and things to do to support your own upcoming deals. We hope you finish each podcast with something new you hadn't considered before that will help you, your team, and your business be more successful. If you like our podcasts, please share, comment, or subscribe to our channel. BTD, from pre-deal to post, we help you go beyond the deal. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Uh, this is Carlos Keener, and I'm here with the fourth podcast in our Back to Basics series, where we talk about some of the, uh, the fundamentals of acquisition integration. In today's session, I have with me Toby Tester, uh, one of our directors based in Sydney, and John Palmer, one of our team based in the UK. Uh, welcome to you both. Hello, Thanks. Carlos. Um, and today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, the fourth tip that I had put into a blog post a few weeks ago, which was specifically around uh, making sure that you don't leave the new baby alone once you have acquired it. Don't leave it alone post-close. Um, let me go ahead and just start with a, a quick introduction. Uh, I'm sure John and Toby have seen the same, but I know I've certainly seen it over the 20 years that I've been in this business, that a lot of organizations will either consciously say, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to screw this up. Uh, I want to make sure that um, we get to know about the, the business first before we do anything with it. We understand that integration is risky and, and expensive and dangerous, um, so I'm not going to do anything with it. Um, or, of course, equally, there's plenty of cases where an organization will um, unintentionally look to do that. If, if only because they really don't have anything, uh, any better ideas of what to do with it initially, or they assume that the uh, the deal benefits are just going to appear automatically without the need to do anything. Uh, you know, our experience resoundingly says that both of those options, while they might be well intended, uh, you know, aren't always the the right option. Um, Toby, let me go ahead and start with you. I mean, what's what's your view on on that that piece around leaving it alone? Is is it really all that wrong to do that? Well, it's an, it's an interesting question, Carlos. Certainly, um, you know, and I'm going to take. I'm going to say one thing, which is a very common sort of uh, management, and that is, it all depends. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought that was the consultant's phrase. That's the one that we get to use all the time. It, well, <laughs> the consultant's phrase, indeed. It all depends. Uh, let's say, um, look. There are times indeed when uh, perhaps leaving it alone post-close, in actual fact, is probably a good idea. But as, it, as I say, the, you know, as what consultant might say, it does depend. And I think it depends on this, is that if you, for example, are buying a business that 
perhaps has a unique set of capabilities. Maybe it's sort of it's it's in its culture. Maybe it's it's in talent. Maybe it's the way it does things. Until you kind of know how it works, until you understand its capabilities, until you've got that sort of deep understanding and knowledge, you don't want to integrate in case in case you start breaking things unintentionally, you know, like a bull in a china shop. And so in that circumstance, um, it is perhaps better to leave it alone for a time while you get that deeper understanding, knowledge of how the business works, but also the people and how they work. And then you would then go ahead and uh, start integrating where it's appropriate, where there are definite synergies to be uh, delivered, where there are cost of revenue type synergies, then, then you go ahead and do it. But I would say that in certain circumstances, leaving it alone first is actually a good idea. But I think I think the point that you've you've made there that um, that sticks with me is for a time. Um, the yes. notion of leaving it alone indefinitely I, is one that I've always had had trouble with. There, there are <laughs> yeah. good reasons for delaying to, so that you learn if you haven't yes. been able to get into the business pre-close, for example, or things like that. Um, you know, John, what what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think there's there's some interesting sort of external factors that come into play. The longer you leave it alone, as well, you know, depending on the market, like Toby said, it depends. Things change quite a bit over time. You know, the, the market could be much different when you buy a company versus when you're looking to integrate, which changes the the value associated with any of the changes that you're making too. So there's there's those external factors, but also internal in terms of you know the uh, you know the staff at the at the acquired company leaving the company. Things like that can happen over time, which changes the the original objectives sometimes. So it, it definitely is a it depends sort of situation. So so is is your point, John, less about leaving it alone and just make sure one way or another you know what you're getting into before you confirm your integration plans. Yeah, absolutely that last bit I think is just is understanding the the risks associated, understanding the market and what could possibly change and and what if things change whether it's good or bad, what effect does that have on the overall value of the deal? Yeah. Yeah, no that that makes sense. I'm I'm thinking especially in uh areas where there's a regulatory review process that really extends that period uh, exactly yep. before completion of the deal or, or things like that. And and to be fair, even in our own process, now that I think about it, you know, one of the things that we're always telling clients to do is not to just jump straight into execution. You know, people love to do something because it shows that they're doing something. But uh, yeah, we, we try and make sure if we can't help them get to a pre-close, then you know, we, we do our best to try and make sure that post-close they're spending a good chunk of time just understanding their what they've bought, doing the design of the operating model, doing the planning before they they kick off. Yeah, so I, I guess that kind of makes sense. Um, I think the other thing that, that comes to mind on this question for me is is the, the title is very intentionally as is. Um, it's not saying um, to integrate or not integrate post-close. There are other options besides integration. We'll, we'll come to that a little bit later on. Um, you know, there's, there's general improvement uh, and other things you can do with the business. So just because you may think you don't want to integrate post-close um, doesn't mean that uh, there aren't other things you should be doing with it. After all, you you did buy it to add value. So the question is always begged, well, how are you going to do that? Um, it, which kind of leads to that that second question. And, and John, you'd started to reference this, but you know, the often, especially in, in um, areas where the 
the deal value is highly predicated on a natural resource price, a commodity price, be it oil or iron ore or something of that kind. You know, the 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 value and the M and A strategy uh, will be very much based on where the price of that commodity happens to be. You know, we've we've seen companies like Glencore and others specifically buying when a commodity is low with a view of selling when the commodity is high. Um, but but that's not usually uh, an option which is open to most organizations. So yeah, I mean, obviously often the, the, the deal price is reflective of the current value of the business. That's what it should be. It's, it's, um, it's not very common that you're able to get that uh, exceptionally low price on the deal, in which case the value is automatically generated. You know, John, what, what do you think on that? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree that, you know, sometimes in, you know, going back to what Toby said at the beginning, it does depend on the situation. But uh, I would say for every, you know, all the times that that you would consider maybe paying paying under the 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 right value, you know, un, you know, uh, pricing it, you know, to your benefit, there's going to be just as many examples, if not more, of where you're going to need to pay more of a premium. You know, examples where if you're in in sort of a, a bidding war, or if you're you know, in in a market where just the the premiums are going to be slightly higher than than you know historically uh, they normally are. So you do have to make sure that you're understanding what that value is and and where you know what levers you have within the acquisition to to capture the value to meet that premium. And I, I think you know there are ways you can maybe financially engineer some some you know results, but mm-hmm. that's only um, you know. That's only short term, and and it's a little bit artificial. It doesn't really create value for the business, um, or a tangible value. So, so I think you run into some issues there. So, really understanding where what that premium is, even if you're overpaying, um, and and how you get that value is always important. Yeah, I'm I'm reminded of a couple of of examples. I mean, obviously, in the old days, private equity was uh, was much more uh, comfortable with buying doing some quick financial re-engineering and then and then flipping for increased value but but those days are long gone we haven't seen that since the uh the housing uh, crisis in in 0607 um yeah i mean there are a few notable cases that are notable by exception i remember one client in which the acquisition just you know had made a radical change to their whack um, to the weighted average cost of capital um, and that therefore provided a, a fairly significant benefit um the other one was a carve out in which the corporate allocation that the target was paying its parent company um, was was very very large relative to what it was going to need to pay as part of the acquirer and, and that in and of itself um, led to some benefits uh, scale leading to larger multiples and things of that obviously makes sense but yeah i i do think those are the exceptions to prove the rule uh, which is a, a simple one that i i think people often fail to understand which is premium you pay on the business is reflective of the scale of the work you're going to have to do post-close the more you pay up front in terms of premium over and above and uh, enterprise value uh, the more work you're you're giving yourself um, to uh, to get that done and to get it done quickly, Toby, what do you what do you think on that? Yeah, no, it, it's a, it's an interesting point you make there, Carlos, about having to work harder, especially when you um, you know you are paying a premium because obviously there are multiple levers you got available to you uh, when it comes to delivering shareholder value, and you just mentioned a few of them, you know, which is simply like um, you know around your wasted weighted average cost of capital, but you know other things just simply getting you know better um, asset efficiency, you know whether it's to do with your inventory management 
or your plant property and equipment, how you manage receivables and payables. You know, if you change your receivables and payables, you can actually improve your working capital, mm -hmm. for example. Um, you know, and then there's, you know, the operating margins and how you can work with those. And then finally, of course, the revenue. And there's multiple revenues of revenue. Just simple pricing changes can help you deliver deliver um, improved shareholder value. In actual fact, Carlos, I'd go and I'll say there are, there are heaps and heaps of things you can be doing um, in terms of uh, of improving uh, the value of business, which don't necessarily do with integration or anything like that. These are things you can do within the business. You know, there's there's an umpteen number of levers you can press, but ultimately they come down to just a few. You can either move with, do something to the revenue, you can do something to your operating margins, you can improve your asset efficiency, or um, it could be things around um, governance or agility or your business relationships and, and making sure they work better. That in turn actually helps deliver improved shareholder value. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you said that, Toby, because one of the things that um, that I often talk to clients about is, is, yes, not just the revenue synergies and the cost synergies, but those kind of capability or strategic synergies, which which yes. is not meant to be a, a cover for things that you never actually intend to achieve. Um, you know, they should all be uh, measured, even if they're not necessarily financial, but they can be at least, if not more, fundamentally uh, beneficial than a, than a straight up price increase or a, a cross selling opportunity. Yep. Um, what What if we go around the other direction, though? I mean, what we also see, of course, are lots of organizations who have um, you know read the books and uh, learned the lesson that, in fact, if you're going to buy a company and get value from it, there are two things you must do: you must integrate it in full, and you must do it immediately. You must do it as soon <laughs> as you bought the company, uh, and that's what they do. And as as we all know, that can that can often lead to to real disaster. Um, you know, John, do you have any uh, particular examples of where you think that's either worked particularly well or, or not worked well? Yeah, I, I think from a um, from a not worked well, I think I've seen that a few few times, uh, especially recently, where you'll go through and, and identify all the areas that need to change, all the work streams that have you know key initiatives that need um, need to be. You know, worked on right away to to achieve this integration, and then you you put it up on a whiteboard and you see, oh, that there's there's thirty different initiatives that need to be done in this quarter by one person. So you really <laughs> have to understand the the resourcing implications of of needing to do everything at once. And I think you know one of the ways that that we do it is 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 we we identify you know we we've used the term levers uh, a few times identify those key levers those key metrics those key areas that will bring the most value and could bring the value the quickest and really really kind of focus on those in the short term and identify what initiatives are need to be done to achieve those while understanding there's going to be a lot of other stuff further down the road you know that that you know in in the same work streams and different work streams and and things will change over time to be able to achieve it in a in a reasonable timeline obviously cuz cuz trying to do everything at once can lead to just overload I'm I'm reminded of a, a well in in the field a bit of a famous picture which, uh, that was the to do list on post it notes uh, following a brainstorming session of all the things that were going to be required uh, to support one of the major U S airline mergers that happened about five or ten years ago and and it was a very impressive multicolored massive probably about a thousand post it notes 
all stuck on a wall. And and yeah, first instance, I wonder if some of that is 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 done to prove how complicated and hard this is going to be, and therefore how much uh, uh, either funding or kudos the the team needs to get. You know, but but a piece of me did did wonder. Well, what exactly are you going to do with that then? Yeah, the two two words I never hear enough of are prioritization and triage. Um, Toby, how about you? I mean, have, have you seen cases where you know, it really was necessary or beneficial to get it all done immediately? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. If you're doing it all in a rush and getting it all immediately, then that what suggests to me is that there's no thinking involved. And what you're doing in actual fact is just going through a very mechanistic approach of doing an integration because, well, that's what you got to do type thing. Did someone say checklists? <laughs> yeah, checklists. They go into checklist zombie approach. Oh, the checklist says I should do this. Therefore, I should do it, you know, um, without thinking about the fundamental question as to why. Uh, here, why here. are we doing this and what value does this deliver? So as to John's point, you only do something if it's actually going to deliver value. Um, so ask why, what value does it deliver? If it's, if they basically, it's like nickel and dime type value, you have to ask yourself, well, why are you doing it? You should be bringing things earlier. So, you know, th there is that notion of prioritization and doing things that that's necessary to, to deliver value from the acquisition. So it is important to do that and to avoid what you just mentioned, just said, Carlos, the checklist approach. Don't go and follow, have checklist fever. Don't do it. Just as bad as deal fever. <laughs> I like that term. I think we may need to start using that one. But, but I mean, to be fair, we still find regularly um, that even once you've done your, your benefits assessment and you've got your clear objectives and they're all nice and smart and all the rest of it, you know, people will still want to get this done as quickly as possible because the benefits will still drive it. I mean, what, what techniques, what practical techniques have you guys seen to actually help take that list of 30 work streams that all have to be kicked off in Q1 and, and find a way to spread them out so that they realistically reflect the amount of risk and resources and, and just organizational bandwidth of change you know, that a, a business can accommodate? Well, uh, I, from, from my experience, we've, we've worked with um, certain companies where we've created sort of bespoke resourcing tools just to show you, okay, here are all the initiatives that you have. Here are the staff, here are the people you want working on them. Do you really want, you know, person X working on eight different initi initiatives in this quarter, do you think, along with their normal job? Mm -hmm. So to really show them, okay, the implications of the ordering of things to try and spread things out. I think there's other ways to do it, but it, it's essentially another prioritization tool, just like to Toby said, just understanding your priorities and, and working through it, um, I think visually definitely helps to show them, you know, what's possible and what seems maybe a bit of a stretch. Mm, yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Toby? Yeah, look, um, having said what I've just said, not trying to be contrarian, look, there are circumstances where you do need to do a number of things and you need to do them quickly. And the reason why you want to do it and do it quickly is because the size of the prize is so large uh, in terms of those, um, whether they're revenue or whether they're cost-saving opportunity, you want to be able to deliver that to the bottom line quickly. But above all, I think the way M&A integration works is through that combination of speed and momentum. 
And so it does mean going through and doing a lot of things in a relatively short space of time and where you make decisions, which not always the best decisions, but you make decisions on the nonetheless, but you do them quickly. And so it is an agile approach. And we often talk about day five, day 10, day 20 by day 30 there's a reason why we do that is because they're like sprints so if i take the agile idea you are basically priming yourself up with yourself up the backlog of things you got to do within a tight time frame you do stand-ups where necessary but what it is is you're focusing hard to get that speed and momentum to drive it forward with that leadership that's required to help propel or push through this exercise not only is it a fast way of doing things and an effective way of doing things but it's also a thing that people fundamentally enjoy doing and they'll look back on it and they'll say i'm glad i was part of that exercise and they'll be writing it down on the resume yeah yeah no great point i I think the other point that you make uh which again i think is a confusion sometimes is just because you need to do things quickly and i agree that's not the same thing as doing everything and in fact, the best yes. way to do things quickly is to do fewer things. Uh, <laughs> indeed, you know, indeed. And, that, and that's the interesting thing about the whole agile of, of notion of agile is that you do those things which are important and then you go ahead and do them quickly, you know, yeah. because you've already prioritized the backlog of work you're going to do. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, the, the question will obviously come up, well, but if there is an awful lot that needs doing or if you decide that you want to get it all done within a, you know, three month, six month time frame or a 12 month time frame, even for a really big deal. Um, surely the easiest thing you can do is just throw lots of resources on it. Why not go ahead and get teams of, of hundreds of consultants uh, or, or outside contractors to, to come in and help? Uh, you know, what's the problem with that? That hurts the value. Uh, you know, it, you know that, that has a cost as well, benefits and costs. So, so you do have to understand all the implications of bringing in a team of you know 50 different consultants to to run a project like that so you know just it, it hurts the bottom line at the end of the day mm, yeah I'll, I'll i'll come back with two quotes here uh, one that we all know but one probably not 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 everybody knows and that is adding more people to a late project makes it later <laughs> that's one thing so just because you add more people it doesn't mean to say that it, things happen fast. For example, it only takes one person, one woman, to have a pregnancy, a birth. Okay, you can't you can't divide that up. It takes yeah, nine well, months. I, I assume that was a quote you were going to say, Toby. Nine <laughs> women cannot have a baby. <laughs> no. In one month. Uh, no, I wasn't going to come with that one, Carlos. The other one I was going to come is a bit of an old corny old one, to be honest. It's, it's that too many cooks spoil the broth, you know. Yes. So <laughs> you know, yeah, you the, know, the so, number of cases I've seen of just. Um, the, the client spending all their time just trying to manage all the animals at the zoo. Um, yeah. I got another one for you, Carlos. All right. The number of the, the ability to make decisions is inversely proportional to the number of people in the room. Ah, yes. That's also a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's true. And, and I think I would add a third one to that, which is that in the end, whether you're integrating or improving or whatever it is you're doing with the business post-close, you, the organization have to lead it. You have to, intimately involved in delivering it. You cannot delegate this to an outside group, no matter how no. good that group is. No. Uh, no. And, and therefore, the, that puts an automatic constraint on the amount that you're going to be able to lead. Um, you know, you, integration cannot be done for you or to you. Mm, I agree. Uh, yeah. Good yeah. point. All right, cool. So 
this has been an interesting conversation, I think, you know, around all these different areas. Um, you know, if we were to just try and summarize this into a, a couple of key, really practical takeaways for the, the listeners. Toby, what, what two points would you say uh, would be the, the key things to do? Oh, boy. Only two. <laughs> only two. <laughs> only two, Carla. Um, okay. Um, one, be driven by value. Let that prioritize what you do. And then when you do it, do it quickly. Yep. Okay. That sounds good. John, how about you? Yeah. Uh, again, sort of fits in uh, with to what Toby's saying is, is as early as possible, identify the, the key levers of value. Again, it, it, it's sort of reiterating a little bit of what Toby said, but that that's what I have here. And we've, we've sort of used the term a few times, but if you can identify it early on, then you can really work through the prioritization well. Um, my second piece was probably around, it was going to be around um, the importance of resourcing and road mapping. Yeah. That'll help you. And they're, they're intertwined. Um, and that'll help you understand avoid fatigue avoid overload but be able to get things done in a timely fashion as well yeah yeah no, i think that's fine i think my two would be um maybe a little less practical but but more guiding principles i think the first one is you know do not assume that the acquisition is automatically going to generate value over and above what you paid for it it doesn't come automatically you you, you do have to do something with it post close except in exceptional circumstances uh, and even then you might be leaving money on the table if you still do nothing with it. Um, and then the other one is is uh, perhaps just another way of framing the points that you both made. It's being prepared to triage. Um, and, and that's actually a very difficult thing to do in some organizations and in some cultures is you, know, you have to be able to end up to a functional head who has their pet project, usually involving IT systems, um, I say, uh, at the risk of offending a, a big portion of the listeners. Uh, but yeah, you know, there'll, there'll be a lot of people who think there are things that, that must be done. And the role of uh, the integration team, the integration manager, and the company leadership is to say no. No, actually, that particular initiative is not linked to a particular value uh, and therefore doesn't need to be done now or, or maybe doesn't need to be done at all. Um, so yeah, those those are my two points. Um, yeah, it's not automatic. Agree, hundred percent. That's good. Yeah. Okay, great. Thanks very much, uh, John and Toby. Really appreciated that, um, and uh, hope you found that interesting. Out there. Yeah, that was a good chat, Carlos. So that was very interesting indeed. It, it certainly got me thinking. Um, but some but some very important points as well that uh, we raised here. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Good, good. And uh, obviously, if you enjoyed this one, then uh, feel free to go back to the original post with uh, 10 tips on M&A or listen to uh, the other nine podcasts, which uh, are or soon will be out there regarding each of those. Thanks very much, everybody. Have a good day. If you like our podcasts, please share, comment or subscribe to our channel. BTD, from pre-deal to post, we help you go beyond the deal.